I'm so glad you are with us as we continue our series, What's Your Move? We're thinking about uh, spending a few weeks this fall, just what does it look like for God to be moving us into the next steps of our faith and also over the next steps as a church. So when I was in high school, someone gave me uh, one of the first Christian books I ever read, and it was um, called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by a pastor in New York named Jim Cimbala of a church called Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I remember reading this book. I probably read it four times. I was so captivated by the story of, of just a congregation that was on fire uh, for following Jesus, passionate about their faith. Um, and believe it or not, the story that has always stuck with me from that book decades later is a story about the choir. So Brooklyn Tabernacle Church has a famous choir known as the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. In fact, they published uh, or recorded over 40 albums. They've played regularly in places like Carnegie Hall and uh, Madison Square Garden. They were well-known and top-flight professionals. But what has stuck with me about them is uh, in the book, Jim Cimbala tells the story of how um, you would think what makes them a great choir is their professional uh, aptitude or the, the amount of practice they put in, how hard they work at learning the songs and hitting all the right notes. But he said what actually makes them effective as a choir is prayer. And he said that there would be meetings where the choir would show up and they would start praying over something going on in someone's life. And then two hours later, they would leave and they never practiced or rehearsed a single song. And that just blew my mind that they could be so effective as a choir. And surely they had talent. Surely they practiced. Surely they learned their music. But that what they found meaningful was paying attention to the deeper spiritual realities took priority over the evident physical realities, that things like prayer and what was going on in someone's soul was more important than sheet music and rehearsal of songs. I just found that incredibly fascinating. In fact, um, from that book, Jim Cimbala says, if we desire the hand of God, i.e. his power, to return to our churches, we should focus less on the personalities and abilities of people and more on Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and first of all, yes, that is what we want. We want God's power, his hand upon us as a church and upon us as Christ followers. But last week we talked about the first thing he said, which was the role of Jesus in the gospel. And this week I wanna talk about the second thing he says, which is the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So last week we talked about what it means to be a gospel church, a gospel-centered church. And, and I don't often encourage you to go back and listen to my sermons but I would say, if last week I really wanted you to hear my heart for where we're headed as a church, so very foundational, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. But last week we talked about being a gospel church. This week I want to talk about being a spirit church or a spirit-led church. What does it mean for us to be a spirit church? And, and what I want you to see is that when we pay attention to the Holy Spirit, we get moved beyond the distractions of the moment into the presence of God. I believe this is true for a church and it's true for us as individuals as we try to follow Jesus in our everyday lives. Um, and I know, just acknowledge, that spirit-filled, spirit-led language is not always the most common or even the most comfortable or familiar for uh, Presbyterians, right? But 
I think we need to be stretched. We need to open our eyes. We need to be reminded of the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church and the life of Christ's followers so that we don't get so distracted that we miss what God is up to in our lives. And so today we're gonna look at John chapter 14. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't, there's a pew Bible in front of you or look it up on your phones. In the pew Bibles, it's, it's page number 1536. And we're gonna talk about what it means for you, what it means for us as a church to be a spirit Church, starting by looking at this text and asking two simple questions. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do? So we're in John chapter 14. We're starting in verse 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples. I'm gonna skip around a little bit so I'll tell you where I'm going next. If you love me, this is verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now skip down to verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give, you, give to you as the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's stop there. So a little context. So Jesus is meeting with his disciples really just hours before he heads to the cross to face his death. And what he's telling them, a few important things. First, he's telling them, I'm going to leave you. Second, He's telling them, but you are going to continue on the mission that I've been giving you. And third, he tells them, and it's gonna be really hard. Thanks, Jesus. But that's what he tells them, and, and he's preparing them for what it means to live with him in the midst of all the distractions that will be thrown their way so that they, their faith stays strong and that they stay on mission. So I don't know if you've ever uh, taken a vacation and you've gotten back and you needed a vacation from your vacation. It's the end of the summer, so I feel like we're all in that boat right now. You spend extra time leading up to your vacation to get ready for your vacation. You work extra hard, you go on vacation, and then you come back and you work extra hard to catch up from the stuff you missed while you were on vacation. And it's exhausting. And so there's been a ton of research that's come out uh, in the last few years that basically says uh, what you do in your time off cannot fix how you spend your time on. We know this is true, right? What we do in our time off cannot fix what we do in our time on. Which is to say a one-week vacation or a two-week vacation, no matter how great it is, or one day off a week or two days off a week, will not change the unhealth that we're living with the rest of the time. And so what Jesus wanted his disciples to see in this moment was you cannot live off of the fumes 
of this experience, you will need a transformation of your rhythms, habits. You will need health every day going forward to follow me. And I think that's an incredibly important thing for us to hear as we navigate through the distractions of our lives. Because just like his disciples would face all kinds of internal and external distractions as they tried to continue to follow him once he had left, we face all kinds of distractions. I mean, I guess I shouldn't speak for you. I'm easily distracted. I'm easily distracted. I mean, I, our lives feel like they're so overcrowded and overscheduled and busy. It's hard for me to listen to the Holy Spirit when I'm, every time I have a free moment, I'm doing this number right here. Anybody else? Sometimes selfishness distracts us from seeing others and therefore we're distracted from seeing the needs of others right around us. Sometimes it's, it's the pain and the failure and the dysfunction from our own lives or our past that can keep distracting us. And sometimes we're just chasing false promises of what makes for a good life and that ends up being a distraction for us. And I'm guilty as much as anybody in this room of letting distractions keep me from paying attention to what God is doing. I'm, it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to be distracted. And even like, you know, for us, going to church once a week, and no offense, but who am I kidding, right? Like once a month, twice a month. Like going to church every once in a while will not transform the way that we live the rest of the week unless we have something else to connect us with who we are in Christ during the rest of the week. And so this is what Jesus knew. And so what Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, I'm gonna leave you and you're gonna get a lot of distractions thrown your way, but I will give you someone to come alongside of you every single day. I will give you someone to help remind you who you are, to teach you what I've done for you, to let it stick with you wherever you find yourself. In fact, the word Jesus uses is the word translated advocate. In the Greek, it could also be translated counselor. It has, it's a legal term. It means that someone who's like beside you in a courtroom testifying and telling the truth about who you really are. He is giving you someone alongside of you and in you to tell you the truth about who you are as you face the distractions of this world. Theologian and author uh, Julie Canlis says, all too often we reduce the Holy Spirit to one who empowers tasks or nudges us into a supernatural realm rather than the one who gives us our identity. The Holy Spirit ushers us into adoption, not workaholism. He tells us not so much what to do, but who we are. So I think there's a lot of misperceptions about the Holy Spirit. Some people will talk about the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit's like an energizer bunny, the one giving us the battery to follow Jesus. Or maybe the Holy Spirit's like a, like a glorified personal psychic like Miss Cleo who's telling us the future. 
But that's not what Jesus says about the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. In short, the Spirit is a person of God. In fact, in just a little while ago, you heard the elders uh, answer some questions about what they believe, and they said they affirm that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is historic Christian doctrine. I could spend hours and sermons and sermons and books and teachings on this. It is historic Christian doctrine, but also also, he is God with us. The Spirit is God with us and God in us. God with us and God in us. One of the most audacious claims of the Christian faith is that God himself is not only with you, he is in you. Out of nothing that you've done on your own, you haven't earned it or achieved it, but God himself is in you. If you are a Christ follower, God is in in you. So if the Spirit is in you, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit reminds you who you are in Christ and unites you with the power of your salvation, reminds you of the truth of the gospel. The Spirit is in you to be a truth teller, to be your advocate, to be your counselor, to remind you what Christ has done for you, how he's included you. Jesus says, I do not leave you as orphans. I've included you in the family through my death and resurrection. And now the Spirit dwells inside of you to remind you every single day, no matter what you're going through, good or bad, easy or hard, that he is with you and that he loves you. The Holy Spirit is God with us to strengthen our identity in Christ as we navigate the distractions of our lives. We have the power of the loving presence of God in our church and in our lives every single day. And so I want us to learn to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and to practice paying attention. And I wanna give you some ways to practice that this morning. And I wanna do it really simply in two buckets. The first is a personal, everyday thing for you as a Christ follower. I wanna talk about that, and then I wanna talk about what it means for us in gathered worship to be a spirit church. So first, if you think about your everyday life, think about you just came from somewhere, you've been going through something this week, you're about to walk out and go into something as you leave here, what would it look like for you to know that the Spirit is in you and with you to remind you that you are beloved, that you belong to God, that Christ is with you? The power of God's loving presence is available to you right now, wherever you are. I wanna challenge you to grow in your awareness of the Spirit's presence. But rather than telling you more about it, I actually want to do something a little different. So I had a couple of friends this week who I asked to try a, a little experiment to, to try to pay attention to the Holy Spirit a little bit more in their weeks. And so Marissa and Tim, would you come up and, uh, and, and chat with us for a minute? So this is Marissa and Tim Rockford. They're fabulous. Um, so grateful for you. And I want to, uh, yeah, <laughs> come on, come on. Don't be afraid. Uh, so the goal for Tim and Marissa, I, I asked them for five days, Monday to Friday, every single day, to try to spend more time practicing some things to try to grow an awareness of the Spirit. So I asked them, the first thing in the morning was to pray, God, what do you have for me today? And then throughout the day, as they hit certain times, whether it was like a reminder on their phone or they walked into big meetings or hard conversations, just to pray, come Holy Spirit. 
And at the end of the day, I asked them to just take a moment and reflect and say, where did I sense God's loving presence alongside of me today? So you did this for five days, and I'm curious, uh, what did you learn? Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing that I learned was that God has a lot that he wants to do in me. Hmm. I went into the week expecting him to show up in big ways, visible ways over there. <laughs> um, and I actually realized that he did a lot of small things in my heart, and I really had a heart posture shift that I think I needed to have. Hmm. And as I, as I became more aware of his presence, I realized that I was trusting him more, I was leaning on him for guidance more, and I just felt more peace and purpose than I had in a while. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Before I answer, I, I said this during the first service too, I think it's important. They, they just gave us this assignment and we came here, we're gonna answer these questions and they didn't know what we were gonna say. It's crazy how much what Petey's already said about the Holy Spirit is what we experienced. Um, I just think that's a yeah. really cool place to start. I learned personally, um, kind of relearned how much I love control. Um, so <laughs> I figured that out again. Um, and so I was really faced with how do I let go of control? And especially in relational situations, I'm often wanting to withdraw from difficult relational situations or just fake it. But asking the Spirit to come and be with me reminded me of who I am, like you're saying, um, in those moments and that I'm not defined by the situation. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so as you did these three prompts, as you did these three prayers throughout the day, um, was there one that was more helpful or maybe one that was harder uh, to follow? Yeah. I think the one that was most helpful for me was the one at the beginning of the day, mm. um, saying, God, what do you have for me today? Because I realized that was a tone setter for how my day was gonna go. And I also realized that by asking that question, I was believing that he did actually have something um, in the day ahead. And then the one that was probably the hardest was um, come Holy Spirit mm. throughout the day because it was very disruptive. And I'm someone who's type A, has a plan, likes to stick to my plan, get things done. And praying that prayer shook things up a little bit <laughs> for me. So it meant that I was late to a meeting one day because I felt led to ask somebody how they were doing. Mm. And I sat in that and I listened. Um, and then it also meant that I spent a lot longer on a task that I didn't plan to spend a lot of time on. Um, and that's because I sensed that God was telling me to slow down and to mm. look at things a little bit differently. So it was disruptive, but probably in the best way possible. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, the one that was both the, the best and the hardest was come Holy Spirit for me. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned, it, it brought me into facing some of the worst parts of myself. Um, it's pretty uncomfortable to realize that I have a lot of pride, I really want control, and I needed to work through those things. But it was also super helpful because it gave me perspective from God's point of view. Like something might feel really big, and it might be important, but ultimately, like I mentioned earlier, I'm not defined by the outcome or whatever that situation is. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so last question for both of you. Um, what would you say to somebody who's thinking about trying this, uh, trying this experiment? I would say that inviting the Holy Spirit into your day does not have to be this big, complicated, weird thing. I actually think um, it's simpler mm -hmm. than, than we often think, and that's because he's with us and he's in us, and so all we have to do is really just be open-handed 
and expectant, trusting that he's going to move and he's going to be faithful. Yeah, I'd say that it's something that for me, I thought is, and maybe for some of you too, I thought it's like more for those people, um, those who are the extra spiritual, like it might work for them to tap into the spirit, but I'm not one of those guys. Um, If you're here today and you're feeling that, I would challenge you to just try this for a week, truly. Um, We were honestly reluctant to like take this experiment on um, because we were like, what if we come back and there's nothing to share? That's a fair question. Jokes on Petey, I mean. (laughs) Um, But we're here and we do have things to share and I don't think it's placebo. Um, (laughs) I don't think. But like, I just would challenge you to do that. Because the spirit is real, he's moving, and we felt that, and we, we're thankful that we did. Yeah, that's awesome. Can you guys help me thank Tim and Marissa? Uh, so I want to challenge you, you know, what's, what's your move? How can you grow in awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you, uh, if you text in CPC Move to the number on the screen, um, if you didn't do that this past week uh, for the last, the last sermon, um, you'll get prompts um, both for daily reflections and for the, the questions that we, uh, we had Tim and Marissa think about for a week. But also, if you're not a, if you're not a big text in person, um, you can grab one of these cards on the way out with more information as well. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's the personal challenge. The second bucket I wanna talk about really quickly is, uh, is corporate worship. And that I think it's incredibly important for us to be a spirit-led church and a spirit church when it comes to gathered worship. And I think the same principle is at play that what the spirit does is moves us beyond the distractions to allow us to enter into worship and focus on actually worshiping our Lord and Savior together. And so uh, I know for many people, when they hear like spirit-led worship, um, they have a stereotype in their head. Good or bad, they have a stereotype in in, in their head. And a lot of that involves um, bodily expressive worship or hands raised or eyes closed or, you know, maybe clapping or dancing or swaying. Um, You know, if you're in traditional worship, maybe it's like nodding your head a couple of times. Um, I said that to them, by the way. I said that to them. But I, I think we can sometimes think that like that's for certain kinds of people and I'm not that kind of person and that's fine. I don't think that's the only way to worship and to move past the distractions. But I do wanna give just a thought on it in that you know, cultures around the world with like prayer practices have always had bodily practices for prayer and there's a reason for that. It's because when we have bodily practices, we're actually teaching ourselves physically what our souls already know. And so sometimes when you're, when you're raising your hand, when your hands are open, when you're kneeling, when your hands are like this, when your eyes are closed, when you're sitting in silence, when you're singing, when you're praying, when you're reading along, sometimes we have you read along with us, it's because we're trying to get you, your bodies to learn what your souls already know, to get past the distractions, because all of us come in here with distractions. And so I would love for us to continue on this journey of growing, being spirit-led as we 
worship together. Whether it's in your own personal life or as a gathered worshiping community, I would love for us just to keep taking baby steps to be a spirit-led church so that when we pay attention to the spirit, we get moved beyond the distractions and can pay attention to the presence of God in the moments of worship and also in the everyday moments of life. This past Wednesday night, as uh, Carrie and I talked about earlier, this past Wednesday night um, was our first Wednesday, like with full force, like kids and student ministries back in the building um, for two years. And it was chaos. I mean, hundreds of uh, kids and students streaming in and out of the doors, parents, and there was a moment late in the evening um, when all like the kids and, and middle schoolers were going out and the high schoolers were, and leaders were coming in and, uh, and, and all that space out there, especially the commons, was just joyful, loud chaos. And I was standing there in the middle of the room watching and if you saw me, I probably had a smile on my face um, and just kind of like looking around smiling. Now, I was wearing a student ministry t-shirt, which meant people kept asking me questions and I did not have the answer to those questions. <laughs> I don't know where your kid is, I'm so sorry. Um, and there were several times where I tried to say to somebody, isn't this great? And I had to stop because I was about, tears were about to come in my eyes and I couldn't say it. Like it kept getting caught in my mouth. And I, and I realized that something deeper was going on. And so when I think about being moved by the Spirit, it's not, about, it's not about emotionalism. It's not about just being emotional. It's about tapping into something deeper. Because in that moment, I could have just moved on with my night. But I was able to stand there for a minute grinning like a fool um, because I was so joyful and grateful for the way that God had continued to move this church forward over the last two years when sometimes the evidence felt to the contrary. And so it was just this beautiful moment of listening to something deeper. And that's what we're talking about, is paying, to the tension, paying attention to the Spirit is learning to listen to the deeper realities as we're going through life so that we don't miss what God is doing. We don't miss that God is with us, that he loves us enough to die and rise from the dead for our salvation, but then to keep us united to that salvation wherever we find ourselves. We find ourselves in Christ because the Holy Spirit is telling us the truth about who we are. Let's pay attention to it. Let's pay attention to the Spirit because he tells us the truth about who you are. You are the beloved of Christ and you belong to the family of God and that changes everything. Amen. I'm gonna invite the band to come back and lead us in our closing song, but I just wanna give you some moments. In the moments as the band's coming up, just spend some time reflecting on the presence of the Spirit in our midst. <laughs>